One of America's oldest universities is mired in a debate over Islamic art. Hamline University in Minnesota terminated the contract of an adjunct lecturer who displayed two reverent artworks of the Prophet Muhammad. Now, she gave the class four warnings before showing the historic images, but one student raised complaints afterwards. This episode raises questions over academic freedom and also whether images of the Prophet can ever be shown. Professor Christiane Gruber of the University of Michigan writes about the controversy in the current edition of New Lines magazine. There are actually two artworks that were shown inside the classroom, and the module in which they were included tackled representations of prophets and notions of the divine in religious art, including Byzantine icons and representations of the Buddha. And so uh, the instructor included, for the purposes of global comparison, two pre-modern paintings of the Prophet Muhammad. Both of them are included in illustrated manuscripts. Uh, Those are texts that are handwritten. That also includes paintings inside of them. So they're a little bit like today's graphic novels, if you like. And they're not caricatures. They're not cartoons. They're quite reverential pieces of art, aren't they? That's right. They have absolutely nothing to do with today's cartoons from Europe and America. In fact, when you think about the scale of human emotion, they're on the opposite side of the spectrum. You have love and hate, right, on either end of the gamut. Those paintings were made in love of the prophet and in exaltation of the Quran, whereas the cartoons are done for the purposes of hate or mocking or disrespect. So they're actually on the other side of the spectrum. Is there a lot of art, uh, Christiane, Islamic art and texts that do depict the Prophet Muhammad? There are plenty of texts um, and artworks that either describe or depict the Prophet Muhammad in Islamic lands. Those tend to have been made in Turkish and Iranian geographical spheres, much more so than in Arab lands. And they tend to date from between 1300 to the 19th century with a dwindling in in that practice during the modern period. And did I read indeed in your essay that in Iran, as recently as 20 years ago, so certainly since the revolution, there were postcards, uh, greeting cards that depicted the Prophet Muhammad? That's right. In fact, uh, when I was doing my research there in 2000, so about 23 years ago, and I've gone back uh, since then, of course, I walked into a supermarket and I wanted to buy some fruits and vegetables. And in the fruit and vegetable section was a a greeting card rack. And I went to look because I wanted to write uh, a postcard to my family. And I found several greeting cards with images of not just the Prophet Muhammad, but also of Imam Ali and Imam Hussein as well. And so I didn't think twice about it. I just bought a few cards uh, because I thought they were interesting. And Iranians also, who are, of course, Muslim, many of whom are Shi Muslim, didn't think twice about it either. Um, They were using postcards with depictions of the Prophet to greet each other. And it was considered such a common good that you could find it among the fruit and vegetable section in supermarkets. Don't some of these depictions of Muhammad show him with a halo, aren't they designed to actually illustrate a very reverential part of the history, Muhammad receiving 
the word of God or something to that effect? That's right. There are different kinds of depictions of the prophet. Sometimes you can see his facial feature, but he has a, a halo or a flaming aureole. Sometimes his face, however, is covered by a veil. So there are different ways of depicting him. But regardless of whether the facial features are visible or not, the urge has always been, artistically speaking, to elevate him beyond the merely mortal realm. He was only a man. He wasn't considered like Christ substantial, right? He's not the son of God. But nevertheless, devotees, so pious Muslim believers, wanted to convey through texts and through images his propinquity, his touch by the divine. And some of those strategies included the facial veil to suggest that he's too beautiful and radiant to behold, that he's secreted away in a different realm, and the halo, which suggests that he was touched by the light of God and received enlightenment or illumination through the revelation of the Quran, which is considered, by the way, a light for the believers, so guidance of sorts. So the professor who displayed these two images uh, very briefly, Professor Erica Lopez Prater, she gave a warning to the class. I think the warning went for almost two minutes. It was seemed to be quite respectful. She explained that she was going to display these images, suggested if people were upset, they could leave the class for a period. What then happened? As far as I can tell, I was not in the classroom, so I'm relying on the written reports that were published uh, in uh, the Oracle, Hamlin University's student newspaper. One student is a member of the Muslim community, and she decided to stay in the classroom. We don't know why she opted to remain, because the syllabus mentioned that these images would be shown and that she could reach out with concerns already at the beginning of the semester. The exercise was optional. She had the option to close her screen or turn away from the online class. But nevertheless, she decided to look on. And uh, I can't assign any volition to her acts, safe to say, that she found those images disrespectful and inauthentic and then asked for something to be done at the administrative level. Uh, it could be that there are incidents on campus that were Islamophobic, that had accumulated over time, that perhaps administrators had not tackled properly. And maybe to her mind, this was the last straw that broke the camel's back. Well, I did notice that uh, Professor Omid Safi, who is a professor of Middle Eastern studies at Duke University, he said he regularly shows images of the Prophet Muhammad in class and he does not give any warnings. He does not say that the students can leave the classroom. He seemed to have had no problems. So, I mean, in this particular case at Hamline University, what do you think or what do you worry is the greater principle at stake here? Well, before I answer that question, let me say that in line with uh, Umid Safi, I teach these images of Muhammad regularly. And in fact, I teach a full PhD seminar, which lasts an entire semester on Islamic images of the Prophet Muhammad. So I've trained PhD students in this material, and I never include trigger warnings or content warnings or the option to bow out. And a number of my PhD students are Muslims, and they've become specialists in the subject. So that's the first thing I think is worthwhile mentioning. The second point that you make is what is at stake? Uh, I've heard a lot about academic freedom and freedom of speech, and indeed those issues are at stake. And the clamping down of particular materials does send a chilling effect to all 
all faculty, but especially those who are contingent and don't have the protections of tenure. For me, though, as uh, an Islamic art historian, what is at stake is that what I'm seeing here is essentially a persecution of historical materials, an attack on artworks. And artworks don't have a voice, unlike human beings, so they can't speak back when you accuse them of, say, hate speech, especially if that's not their intent, if an object could have an intent at all. So I worry about this instance as being an attack on cultural heritage, an attack on non-Western art, which already has struggled to find a spot at the table within the field of art history in general. So it's doing damage to actors of the past who happen to have been Muslim, and it's potentially endangering Islamic art both in reality as objects that need to be preserved and as a scholarly discipline that needs to grow in academic settings. Mm. Christiane, hasn't Hamline University, though, wound back or retracted, I think at least, one of the criticisms it made of the part-time art professor whose contract is still terminated? I I think they no longer accuse this professor of Islamophobia. Is that right? That's correct. About an hour before, the lawsuit became national news, and certainly the administrators already had notification of this lawsuit. The uh, chair of the board of trustees, along with the president, wrote a statement, and the only accusation that they slightly walked back was the accusation of Islamophobia, and it dovetailed with the lawsuit. That could have legal implications in terms of how this plays out in a court of law. However, they didn't retract any of the other accusations. They didn't offer a public apology. So they still have not admitted to any wrong and they haven't offered a simple we're sorry to the professor in question. It is hard to maintain the argument that it's Islamophobic when uh, an executive of the Council of American Islamic Relations has said, look, the picture might be un-Islamic, but it's not Islamophobic. That's correct. It's impossible to claim that these paintings are Islamophobic when, in fact, at the very core, they're Islamophilic. And that's why we have to really backtrack and rewind and be historically accurate and sensitive to actors of the past. Now, the CARE representative also said that they're not Islamophobic, but un-Islamic. And I would counter-argue that they are, in fact, Islamic. They were made by Muslim artists for Muslim patrons in honor of the Prophet and the Quran. And that constitutes Islamic. So we could get into a very long theological debate on what constitutes Islamic or not. But I am of the very firm belief that these materials are key components of the arts of the lands of Islam, and they need to be treated as such. And that means transgressing and surpassing our own anachronistic expectations of what constitutes Islam. Islam is not just a religious faith that bans or destroys images. That has not been historically the case, and we need to treat materials in a historically accurate way. Just finally, Christiane, you mentioned sensitivity there. How do we be sensitive, though, to the students at Hamline? Their argument is, look, we are part of a minority within a minority. We're black students. We're Muslim students. There is a series of uh, Islamophobic incidents in our city. 
you know, we thought this was just one more layer and it maybe was the final straw. I mean, is there an argument for some sensitivity there? Sure. And I agree. This community in Minnesota has been the target of violent Islamophobic attacks, including attacks on mosques. And there have been instances, as far as I can tell, on campus and students had complained beforehand. They even asked for halal food in the cafeteria, and it took about a year for the administration to take action on that front. We do have to be mindful of the fact that certain minorities are the target of bias and violence. And two of my colleagues have written about the role of blackness in in this incident, which we have to take seriously. This said, we have to be careful to split and not lump evidence. And what I mean by that is that we can't lump historical Islamic paintings with an instance of attacking a mosque. These are two unlikes, and it's very important to help the students understand that one should not engage in those kinds of cognitive uh, elisions. And that's part of the education process. So administrators and teachers at the university should have basically slowed down, brought the student together, maybe with the teacher or with a series of teachers and administrators, hosted a conversation rather than shutting it down, and use this moment as a teachable one and not an impeachable one. That's part of the educational mandate of the university, and that requires sensitivity to everyone and not just one particular group of individuals, because sensitivity also has to be extended to faculty members who are humans with just more years on them and more scars on their body than their students. And they happen to be also just as vulnerable, if not more vulnerable, if they're contingent faculty members. What would behoove us here is to really slow down and take a 360-degree approach to the issue and understand that there are very legitimate grievances that need to be addressed, but these are not one and the same as a devotional painting of the Prophet Muhammad from Iran that was made in 1300. Christiane Gruber is Professor of Islamic Art at uh, the University of Michigan. She's the author of a fascinating article in New Lines magazine over this uh, controversy at Hamline University. Christiane, thank you for joining us on the Religion and Ethics Report. Thank you so much for having invited me. And that's the show for today. You can find us at the ABC Listen app, although if you do subscribe to us on other platforms such as Apple Podcasts, you may have to go back and resubscribe because we now come through only as separate stories, not as the whole program. And if you do like the program, you can give us a review on those platforms as well. Thanks this week to Hong Zhang and Hamish Camilleri. I'm Andrew West. Join us again for the Religion and Ethics Report. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.